hold on a minute. I believe for all of these years, I needed alcohol to be fun and, you know, be good in business, or I needed to eat meat to be a man. And then you break one of those limiting barriers. It changes everything. Like for me, that's, you know, what's led to, you know, the later transformation in my life was actually wrestling with this thing because it was really tough. And socially, I found it really difficult to say no to people because the social pressure, and it still is the case, and that's what I do a lot of work on now is trying to remove the social pressure wherever I can. But the social pressure would beat me all the time. I would crumble when someone threatened me with the, you're boring, or, you know, bore off, mate, all that sort of stuff. But don't be such a lightweight. You know, I wasn't strong enough to deflect that away, you know, and I'd crumble and I'd end up having a drink and then I'd regret it the next day and go, well, now I feel like crap again and I've lost my consistency and I'm eating rubbish again. And I'm not exercising again because I wasn't brave enough to say to that person, no, nah, I don't want to drink. Hi everyone. I am Nicolette Richet, your host of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. And it is such a pleasure to be with you today and to be able to welcome Andy Ramage to our show. Andy is a co-founder of One Year No Beer, this incredible program that offers, uh, it's actually a business that offers 28, 90 and 365 day alcohol free challenges. Now, yes, that means alcohol of all types, even though it's called One Year No Beer. So Andy is a performance coach. He's an author. He's a co-founder of Alpha Alpha Energy Brokerage, and he's also a professional former athlete. So one of the things I love about Andy's podcast is that immediately after the show was over, I gave up alcohol as well. So we ref- we filmed back in uh, early summer, late spring, and I've officially been alcohol-free for over four and a half months. And I can tell you, our business has grown. We have made more money. We, I am feeling better. Several of our staff have gone alcohol-free and they are praising the benefits of not drinking any alcohol and optimizing their health and also their performance their potential to be incredible in everything that they do in life. So that's what this show is all about. And I really hope you enjoy it. So in addition to what you're going to learn about just giving up alcohol, you're going to also learn about what it means to have to uh, go against those social pressures of giving up alcohol and how when you do this, you can realize your own human potential and how it affects your ability to operate at the most highest levels in your business, in your home, in sports, and more. What I love most about this podcast and this show with Andy is that it's not just a show for people who define themselves as being alcoholics or being diagnosed as an alcoholic or a drug addict. It's really for people who drink moderately or even mildly. Like maybe you only have a few drinks a week, maybe you have a few drinks a night, but you wouldn't classify yourself as having an addiction. And this is who this show is for. Because even a little bit of alcohol in your system 
really shuts down your body for not just a number of hours, but actually a number of days. And we dive, and we dive into how and why this happens. So if you know anybody who is battling alcohol addiction or drug addiction, get them to listen to the show, but also this show, pass it on to your friends, the ones who are drinking mildly and just see what it stirs up in them. Because like I said, I've been alcohol free for four and a half months now, and I can tell you that amazing things have happened, which we'll be sharing with you in the next few shows. Now, before we begin with Andy's show, I just want to share with you a few things that we're offering that is truly amazing. So we have a beautiful Eat Real to Heal online course. It's been out for a couple of years now, and it has helped hundreds of people to reverse their chronic diseases. And our purpose is to help as many people as possible. So we've decided to offer this amazing online course at a deep, deep, deep discount for the month of October to celebrate our one year anniversary of our book coming out and to touch as many people's lives as we can. So this is an 85% discount on the Eat Real to Heal online course. So it's now being offered for 89.25 up until October 31st. And you can go to our website to access that discount course, or you can just register at bit.ly front slash E-R-T-H for Eat Real to Heal, E-R-T-H course. So go there and sign up today and get started on our five-week online Eat Real to Heal program. You're going to learn how to um, restore your new nutritional deficiencies. You're going to learn about the foods that heal and the foods that harm. You're going to learn how to detoxify yourself safely in your own home and how you can do this every day, every week, every month. Uh, you're going to learn how to take a whole body approach to optimal health. So never again will you look for that quick fix, but you'll just create a lifestyle of eating healthy and living well. You're going to learn how to build resilience and to shift your stress and so much more. And so we rely 100% on referrals for the work that we do in the world. So please do pass this along to your friends, to your family, to your loved ones, anybody that might be battling a chronic disease or anybody who just wants to learn about preventative health, pass this on to them and we can collectively share the goodness of what we're doing and also the healing power of the human body and food as medicine to everyone. So thanks for being with us. Enjoy the show and don't forget, share it with others. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And welcome Andy to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show with us. I'm super excited about this. I'm really looking forward to the next uh, bit of time to explore this alcohol-free adventure in more detail. Yeah, and you've been exploring it a lot for a very long time now. Um, and you know, just so the audience knows, I first came across Andy on, lo and behold, the Rich Roll podcast. I know I talk about Rich's podcast all the time because he brings on some of the best of the best people. So everybody should listen to that podcast. And so I really, you know, I don't want to be repeating Rich's podcast. I really want to carry on from that. But there were so many aspects of that podcast, like I was just saying to you um, just before the show started, Andy, that I could literally have substituted the word plant-based whole food for alcohol in that podcast. And we would have been having the same discussion because of the fact that when I teach my clients how to reverse their diseases using the Gerson therapy, which is really just unrefined, 100% organic, plant-based, whole food. It's a nutrient-dense therapy, so it's high nutrient intake. It gets the toxins out. 
what I see is that people absolutely they realize their potential, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like people go on to do some of the most incredible things that they never thought was possible because they just didn't have the capacity to do it. And that's what I love so much about that show. And I really want to dive into that human potential that can exist when you also cut out the alcohol. So take me back to, um, I was really curious about that point in your life when like you just, you just felt that like alcohol was not serving you. What was that point and what did that look like? Yeah, I think that was in my early to mid thirties. Um, stereotypical successful guy in the city brokerage living that lifestyle that broker lifestyle fast pace high stress high reward um and i was really good at it and the bit that i was good at was making connection being super social and we did that via drinking right wasn't anything exceptional about that that's what everyone did i just happened to be quite good at entertaining in that form you know and i enjoyed it and and i've never denied it i had a great time in many ways and it just got to that point i think for me i had young children um so at that point they were sort of one and three at the time and there was just a growing sense that just started to sort of build up on the fringes i think of my world of is this right is this like the way to behave to carry on you know that i'm always tired and most lethargic you know the occasional coming home after too many drinks and trying to read a bedtime story and again as we'll evolve through this podcast mine isn't a story of problematic drinking in the sense there was no addiction um very much um, the opposite in many ways i think my relationship with alcohol was the same as pretty much most people on the planet which was that i drank sometimes moderately occasionally averagely and then heavily on occasions as well which describes pretty much everyone's relationship with alcohol to more or less degree but there was that sense that it was holding me back and i kept telling myself strangely it just started to build up maybe if you can crack this alcohol thing that's going to be the trigger to get on top of your diet and start exercising again because bearing in mind at this stage of my life even though i was very successful i guess in that traditional sense um you know in terms of the city and financially all that sort of stuff um i was broken everywhere else i was 42 pounds heavier and my body fat was over 35 percent i had rosacea my skin early signs of heart disease, you know, stressed out, maxed out. My relationships were strained, not only in the office because of inconsistency um, and also at home as well, because I wasn't around that much. You know, I was busy being a busy person, you know, and a lot of that involved needless entertaining with clients because I thought that's what you had to do to be successful in business. So it was more a growing nagging in the background than a big never again movement. Um, And then I started to experiment. I started to try and take breaks and I found it incredibly difficult. Again, not because there was a physical dependency, far from it, but socially it was so tough. You know, like if if you're, that's your world and you've created a persona as someone that's a larger than life character that entertains in that way, that takes people out and, and involves a lot of alcohol. And then you try and take it away. It's so difficult. Because I think, and this is to latch on to what you said earlier, this is where it gets really interesting. Because I think when people break the mold a little bit, they have their own synthetic epiphany 
if you know what I mean. And I think that happens around food as well. When people change their diet radically and get a massive result, like again, you told me about the guy there with his body covered in psoriasis, and you can see it, this tangible reward that you like dispel this conventional wisdom that's been holding you back, back for years. Something changes. Something fundamentally changes in your mindset and your psyche to go, hold on a minute. I believe for all of these years, I needed alcohol to be fun and, you know, be good in business, or I needed to eat meat to be a man. And then you break one of those limiting barriers. It changes everything. Like for me, that's, you know, what's led to, you know, the later transformation in my life was actually wrestling with this thing because it was really tough. And socially, I found it really difficult to say no to people because the social pressure, and it still is the case, and that's what I do a lot of work on now is trying to remove the social pressure wherever I can. But the social pressure would beat me all the time. I would crumble when someone threatened me with the, you're boring, or, you know, bore off, mate, all that sort of stuff. But don't be such a lightweight. You know, I wasn't strong enough to deflect that away, you know, and I'd crumble and I'd end up having a drink and then I'd regret it the next day and go, well, now I feel like crap again and I've lost my consistency and I'm eating rubbish again. I'm not exercising again because I wasn't brave enough to say to that person, no, I don't want to drink. So I wrestled with that for probably about two years on and off is truth. Just taking little breaks and, but the momentum was building in my mind all the time. Do you know what? I don't think I want to do this anymore. How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to engineer a lifestyle within this business community that allows me to be healthy and fit and vibrant and all those things and not drink and be successful? Um, you know, and I was tempted to run away from it all. I was tempted to go, do you know what? It's the city's fault. It's the job's fault. It's not me. It's the job. It's the environment. It's the people. I'm going to run away. I'm going to go to a monastery and I'm going to get all Zen and I'm going to get back into my yoga and it's going to be easy there, right? Because there'll be no one twisting my rubber arm in the, you know, in the yoga studio. But on reflection, I thought, no, why am I doing that? You know, I love this job. You know, I enjoy it. I love the people around it. You know, lots of people don't. I did. I, I still really think it's a great um, network of people. Um, and I thought, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to stay within this environment, but I'm going to do it differently. And as part of that, I left, uh, you know, I resigned from one of the, the bigger jobs in the city at the, the, the best company, as it were, to set up my own business um, against all the odds. And everyone said, you're going to fail. There's no way you're going to be able to compete against the machine that was the old firm. Um, but there was something inside me that thought, well, I don't care because I'm either going to achieve conventional success on my terms, which is with a healthy body, mind, being vibrant and my home life. That's the most important thing to me. You know, there's too many people I looked around at in that city that were trading success traditionally for their family life. Like, what's the, what's the point in that? There's no way there's a comparison between the two, you know? And a lot of my work was realigning with that and going, hold on, what's really a priority in my life? I'll tell you what's a priority, my wife and my kids. That is the number one priority. Success, money, all that stuff comes after. And I'm going to realign and do this in my own way. So that's where, so that's the part of the story that I'm really curious about because as I'm imagining the audiences listening to you right now, they're thinking like, okay, this guy's an exceptional guy to begin with. Number one, he prioritizes his family, right? Over money and success and everything. He's already like making lots of money in the financial sector. You know, he has the liberty to do this and, you know, and, but the thing is, is that it, 
you know, for a lot of my clients, when they actually turn to food as medicine, when they realize that the conventional medical system has failed them where the surgeries and the drugs aren't working anymore. Um, but for them, they've been sort of, they, it, seeds have been planted in their mind. Like either they watched a documentary, they read a book about food as medicine, you know, over the years, they've watched different people do this. But when it comes to alcohol, I mean, for most of us, it's that we've seen either you're an alcoholic and you go to AA or you drink casually like everybody else, right? Um, or you just don't treat your your alcohol addiction. So I'm curious for you if there had been seeds planted along the way, besides just being truly an introspective per person that you are, right? Like you are, there's some people who would never think that alcohol is affecting their life when they drink casually. And what I'm hearing for you though, from you, like it wasn't, I know you had time to contemplate this while you're in your role. And I know that you didn't like what it was doing, but like, you know, going way, way back where there's seeds planted there, where you had started to reflect on alcohol, like from a young age or, you know, did something happen? I'm just curious how that yeah. evolved. Yeah. I mean, my, so my very early background, I was a professional sportsman. So I was a professional soccer player, as you guys would call it. Um, so I've always been about health and fitness to a degree and a lot of that degraded. But one thing that stuck with me and it always does. And I, I bring this up often when I do talks, my dad said to me when I was 16 and I had the choice to leave school and follow the dream of becoming a professional footballer, never be the drunk at the end of the bar that says I could have made it. Mm. And that's, that was one of those lines that really stuck me and it still resonates with me today. Never be the drunk at the bar that says I could have made it because we've all met those guys in the bar and we've all heard those guys and girls in the bar telling us how they're going to make it big. And they could have been the greatest entrepreneur, the greatest sports star, but they, you know, it, if it wasn't for the drink or if it wasn't for the luck and all that sort of stuff. So those, I think big, powerful background messages were always there, I think yeah. for me. So there were seeds along the way and obviously seeing how sport has progressed and people becoming more and more professional in their sports and becoming fitter and faster and healthier and all those things I think was bubbling up in the background. If you know what I mean, there wasn't any obvious signs, but they were there clearly. And I think being a dad and a parent, I think it's that changes a lot of people and it changes their priorities. So I think all of those things were building momentum. But what's interesting is that this nagging doubt wouldn't go away, but I got to the point where I kept saying to myself, if I now this thing, i.e., the alcohol thing and take a long break, that's going to be the one thing that's going to allow me to, to do all this other stuff. But then I kept tripping up and I kept stumbling and fumbling and getting it wrong. And as I mentioned, succumbing to the social pressure to the point, I remember thinking, I'm going to have to stop saying that. Like this is in my own head. I'm going to have to stop associating me going alcohol free with achieving all these extra wonderful things that I want to achieve because it's not working. I think I've just got to accept that in my, if I want to stay in this, industry and do all these things i'm gonna to have to keep drinking and that was actually a big moment for me because i really i can remember it like literally in my mind i can remember walking to the station and having that almost that moment of i, I was almost going to give up to an extent of it's just me right i'm just someone who socializes with alcohol i'm gonna to have to you know get on with it and it was in that moment i thought actually no i'm not i'm gonna go and learn as much as i can about my mind and mindset and really go deep on this stuff so i understand it so that actually I can make this proactive change myself and then have a little look to see what it does for me. And if it does all these wonderful things, then I'm really onto something. And lo and behold, I was right because it did. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, and again, it just reminds me of how people make the switch to food as medicine and to just even a plant-based whole food lifestyle is that, you know, they're usually driven by, you know, one of three things. It's either for health, they're doing it because somebody's died in their life or has a disease and they're like, I don't want to end up that way. I'm going to switch my diet. Or they're doing it for ethical reasons. You know, they don't want to abuse the animals, so they're going to give up meat. Or they're doing it for environmental reasons. Um, and I rarely meet somebody who says, I'm doing it for all three. Um, and then that, for me, there's a fourth reason to do it. And it is truly to realize your own personal human potential. Like what could your DNA express? What could you, who could you be if you nutrified your body to the max and allowed every gene that was going to, you know, support you to be turned on and every gene that shouldn't be turned on, you know, that is maybe disease causing to be turned off, who would you be? And uh, we did a great podcast with Susanna Meadows and she had genetically identical twins and one of them at three years old got uh, diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And, you know, people can go back and listen to that. But long story short is the one son had, after a year where the medications didn't work, had to switch to a plant-based whole food, 100% organic diet. Well, in the time he was sick, his brother, twin, genetically identical twin brother, outgrew him substantially because, and then, but when they finally, after a year, when he switched to the plant-based whole food, the twin who was sick caught up to his brother. And then, you know, everybody thought, okay, now they're the same height. Great. Everything's back to normal. But no, because he was on this special diet, he actually outgrew the brother who didn't have to switch his diet for the disease, like, which is incredible. So it just speaks to that human potential. And I'm curious for you, um, like I, I understand all the reasons, you know, it's, it's multiple different messages coming in and the reason why you want to do it. Um, and, and I love it. And I know for me, it was more about the human potential to give up the alcohol, despite having read all the studies on the link between cancer and alcohol, which I definitely want to chat about, but it was definitely about the human potential. And for you, was it like, what was it one thing or was it multiple things? And, you know, for the people who are doing the one year, no beer challenge, um, what, what do you find is that push for them to give up the alcohol? Yeah. So there's a few things in there. Um, and then even back to signs and messages and something that I sort of missed out on there was that I read the book 10 years ago, Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins. Yeah. You know, and when I think I said that to Rich on the show, maybe said yes. that you'd be amazed how many people have cited that book as the game changer for them. That was an absolute game changer for me. That was the book that I read again, mid thirties, so I'm 44 now. Um, and it transformed my life because for the first time ever, I realized that I was in control, I was in control of one thing and one thing only pretty much, which was my beliefs. But if you can change a belief, you change everything, you change what you see. Um, that absolutely blew my mind. I just couldn't, I'd never read anything like that before. I'd never understood my mind in that way before. I just assumed you turned up and if you were lucky and I felt very lucky and I still feel very lucky, you know, and you got the, your, your numbers come in, in life, then that was how it was. I didn't realize that you could take control. You could take like literally the metaphorical ball by the horns and make a huge difference. Um, and that really started to change the game for me because then I, I started to implement a lot of those ideas, a lot of my own thinking, a lot of mindset around the way that I behaved in the office to great success. But ultimately, and we touched on this earlier, the one thing that I 
constantly overlooked, which was the most obvious, was the alcohol thing. It was the last thing I ever questioned. It was just like, you know, I'm going to try and meditate. I'm going to start improving my diet. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to move my body. The last thing I ever questioned, genuinely, it's almost comical, was alcohol. But I see it all the time. It's like this blind, this cultural sort of blind spot people have. You know, we discussed it early. You know, people are going to yoga, they're meditating, and I'll meet them out. And they're binge drinking. It's like, it's not, these things are not congruent with the two. And at the moment, culturally, the vast majority of people haven't made that connection. Yeah. That's what I'm all about. I'm just starting to break down that barrier a little bit to go, hold on a minute. I just put a post out on LinkedIn. I do quite a lot on LinkedIn now. And I'm always trying to link LinkedIn posts to being a better professional. You know, sports athletes, they don't drink like they used to because they've figured it out. Two don't, don't go together. Alcohol and your best self, alcohol and your best performance, and all of those things you mentioned about being that, like the best version of you, they just don't align anymore because it holds you back in so many ways. And I'm not talking about the obvious stuff like that we mentioned, all the cancers and, and whatnot that most people are not even aware of, or the hangovers. I'm talking about the subtle things, the fact that it destroys your sleep. And if we look at the science around sleep, we know that sleep destroys productivity, destroys motivation. But here's the big one consistency it destroys your consistency in everything you do if you go out one night a week let's use my wife for an example actually my wife still drinks right lovely irish lady love it a bit she still drinks every now and again she loves her peloton right she'll go religiously on that bike on the peloton never misses a day guess what we go out she has a few too many drinks four days later still hasn't been back on the peloton yeah. And I was like, it was so obvious for me. I was like, and I, we never, you know, I never, I just do my own thing in, in that sense. I'm, I know I don't preach or anything. I was like, but Tari, you've got to work with me on this one. You cannot deny the fact for the last three weeks, you haven't missed a day. We go out, you have a few too many, then you miss it for four days. It was, it was like one of the most obvious, tangible examples I've ever had. And you can imagine that is going on all over people's lives all the time. It's tripping oh. them up in terms of their diet, tripping up in terms of their exercise and their consistency in their relationships. Because when you're tired and a bit groggy and not quite yourself, you might be a bit short-tempered or you're not around as much or you're not as mindful. So that's all having an impact. You're not as consistent in the way that you show up in the office because you don't really know who's going to turn up right one day you turn up like a superhero the next day you can barely function you know again i worked in the city and run big businesses in the city in that sense some fridays the whole office was decimated you know you'd look around and it was like what on earth has happened no one could barely even pick up a phone let alone close a deal because they'd all been out entertaining or socializing i.e drinking heavily um on a thursday night that's sort of what we do in the city culture but it was killing off a whole day. And then you start to do the maths around it. Then you think, hold on, right? Even if that's one day a week, you lose to underperformance. You scale that up. Just, just say it's one and a bit days, right? You're almost two months of the year, of the working year, to self-inflicted underperformance. And I'm being really generous there because it's probably okay. not one and a bit days. It's probably more like two or three. And for me at that time, it was probably closer to two or three. So I looked at it and went, hold on, six months of the year, I'm not performing where I should be in terms of you know the way I'm showing up at work because of this inconsistency. What would life be like if I was turning up every day? If I was here another six months of the year effectively, how would things change? And just to even finish that story, my business that I set up, the new one that I set up, in half the time, whilst not drinking, 
I grew it seven times bigger than the previous business. Like there again, tangible result. No one can argue with it. It's a fact. Oh, and I see that all the time with my clients when they turn to food as medicine. So now they don't have the weight of like the, you know, the meat and the dairy and the, you know, the high, you know, refined sugars and the crazy oils, like all of that stuff just sucks our body's energy and we're not able to perform. And then once they start eating clean and clean means that the food is easy to process by the body. So you're not expending all this energy trying to digest it and assimilate it and then you know take that waste that it creates in the body out. So all of a sudden you have actually mitochondrial energy that's free to use for other things, like performing better, either in your personal life, in your work life, in your career, with your business. So we're launching a corporate um, training program for you know companies that are 50 and over, and we're gonna hand hold them through five weeks of what it looks like to eat clean because we see it like within a week performance changes. So, you know, that's the kind of thing, but there's a company called WeWork, which is, um, I don't know if you've heard about it, but huge company, thousands of employees, but they now don't reimburse their employees if they order meat meals, they won't cover their expenses. It is amazing. It is brilliant. And it's for environmental reasons. It's for health reasons. It's for performance reasons. But I see the same thing eventually, maybe like we're still ahead of our time because, you know, smoking was one thing, right? You could smoke in the workplace 30 years ago, 20 years, well, actually even 10 years ago, or even now in some places um, of the world. But, you know, we finally eliminated that. We're seeing now this, you know, healthy food um, movement in starting in the workplace. But I think that alcohol for sure is going to be one of those things that it's maybe we're still 50 years out for that. But can you imagine like a community or a workplace where the people showed up optimally every day, like full of energy and ready to take on the world and solve problems and, you know, create incredible things, you know, to make the world better. Like I could just see, hopefully see that happening. And I might be off my rocker to think that that'll ever happen because I think, like you said earlier, people do not contemplate the effects that alcohol has on their body, even though they'll say things like, oh, I feel like shit after last night and drinking, right? But then they go and do it all over again. And they usually say things, and I'm sure you've heard every excuse, right? But I love the taste of wine and I love the taste of beer. Like what are some of the excuses that, and you know, and they're, they're people trying to convince themselves that the, the alcohol is a good thing in their life, but I'm sure you've heard it all, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, and then back to what you're saying there about the, even the workplace and, and what you're trying to do there is fantastic, right? For me, it's all about being like an office athlete in many ways and, and trying to get people into that mindset. You know, I yeah. did some work with a guy called Nick Littlehouse, who's a sleep coach. And sleep is another massively underrated part of peak performance that alcohol improves and diet improves. Totally. All of these things are linked, aren't they? It's, all, it's doing the basics right and doing them well. But he said something to me once, Nick Littlehouse, that that the lay person hasn't yet made the connection between the tweaks that they make in their life and their performance in life. Whereas an athlete is so in tune with that. If you go to an athlete and say, look, we can work on your sleep. It might improve your performance by 1%. They're all over it like a rash because why wouldn't they be? Because they've made a direct link between, you know, those tweaks and those enhancements they make in their life and their performance. Whereas I think that the lay person in general hasn't, but when they do, Hence, when they start eating clean or they take a break from alcohol, it starts to change everything. And back to what you were saying about the corporate, it's amazing, right? Again, the same thing. And I'm doing lots of work with corporates at the moment that 
there's such a push around mental health, for example, improving mental health, uh, physical health, well-being. There's meditations going on at work. Great yoga, amazing. Um, again, mindfulness, whatever it might be, quality food. And then on a Friday night, there's a socially pressured drinks night. Totally. doesn't make any sense. It's totally incongruent with everything else. Or the HR professionals must be going nuts. They're, you know, they're working really hard to try and improve the well-being of all their staff. Then there's a, a and I'm going to call it a lazy drinks night. And the reason it's a lazy drinks night, because it's been done a billion times. And all you have to do is phone the local bar and go, can you reserve us an area? The tab's on me. It's a lazy it's a lazy way out, right? And then what I think people have got to realize is that it puts people in a pressured situation. Again, back to evolution and status and all of these things. We don't like to be thrown out of the tribe. Therefore, inherently, we feel pressured to fit in. That's just human nature. And guess what? If you go to a drinks night and the senior people are all drinking, it's really tough to find the courage to go, I'm not drinking when everyone else is, you pick up on those social cues. So guess what? You drink. So maybe people have one, two. It's a free bar. Some of them have five. They wake up the next day. It could be on a Thursday. They come into the office. Their pr production and their productivity is terrible. You've just helped destroy their mental health because now they're waking up okay. anxious and hungover. They're probably going to eat terrible food because they're <laughs> craving stodge food. And they're not going to bother their ass exercising because they're not feeling it. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that's why it will happen quicker than you think, because when people start to make this connection, they're going to go, oh, yeah, you're dead right. Actually, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. And not that it's about spoiling people's fun or not having get togethers. But back to my point, rather than the lazy option, do something creative, right? Get a bit creative around it, a team bowling event or whatever it is or something that's a bit more creative than let's just go to a bar and get some free booze on board right come on bore off we've done that a billion times what is i think people really appreciate when someone does make the effort and even back to my role as a broker what i found in the end was that clients after a while got used to me not drinking and then i would have to think outside the box because i couldn't just take them to the bar like all the other brokers i had to do something different we went surfing Barry's boot camp, all of these different things. And suddenly clients are going, that was brilliant. I'm bored of the lazy drinks night. When someone gets off their bum and actually organizes something of real value that I'm probably going to remember, you end up building much better relationships. Or if you're a corporate, bonding your team in a much different way other than let's just throw a load of booze at them for, for a night and pressure them into drinking probably too much, which undermines all the things we've spent the last six months trying to improve. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I know how hard it is because I have, um, for someone who's in the health sector and knows the science around alcohol, I was the like maybe three glasses of wine a week type of person, which anybody would say, oh, that's nothing. Like I have two glasses a night, you know, and, and I'm fine with that. But for me, like three glasses in a week, I saw how it like completely, um, you know, um, undermine my performance, my ability to just like be who I am and to show up and to have the energy to do things. But I have not drank in three months now. I think it's been about- Wow, get in there. I know because of that podcast you did with Rich Roll. And for me, it was that human potential piece that really spoke to me. And I was like, and then also feeling like quite the hypocrite. Like, you know, I tell other people to look at the science around food and then make healthy food choices. But I've looked at the science around alcohol, but I wasn't making- um, you know, 
choices around alcohol that were good. And I have to admit, it was, um, uh, and I had to do it also because of the fact that I needed to see what it was like to give up alcohol because I had already made the change around food so long ago. I think I'd forgotten what it was like. And I needed to remember what it's like for my clients to make that lifestyle switch around food. So it was also an experiment in that way. And it was hard. It, every day was hard. And this is for someone who drank like minimally. And it was so tough. And I found that when like, you know, if it was a hot day, I had lots of meetings, um, you know, I'd be frustrated because like a contract didn't work out. Um, and one of those was with Tony Robbins, in fact. So wow. I'll come back to that. But um, yeah an awesome contract with them. Um, and we're looking to partner with them. And I also read the Awaken the Giant Within back when I was like, I think still a teenager at that point. Yeah. And it forever changed my life. But um, everybody needs to read that book. And yeah, so and I, and I found that the first thing I would think was like, you know, I'm just going to go work in the restaurant so I can have a cocktail while I'm like doing a bunch of emails. And you know, that would come at after a particularly hard day. And then I would stop and be like, wait, I already committed to one year, no beer. And here I am the day in and I'm like thinking, I'm going to go get an, you know, a glass of alcohol. Yeah. And so, but it was good because what I did is I found pulling out a journal really helped me just to be like, why do I want that cocktail right now? And I found none of the reasons I could come up with were valid reasons. It was things like I'm hot. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. Uh, I want to relax. Um, you know, I'm annoyed. Like it was just really around my emotions. And I realized, oh, but if I'm hot, I could have a cool beverage. You know, if I'm tired, I really should go sleep um, or go walk in nature or go do some exercise. And so at least I was able to catch myself each time. But if I don't think I could have done it, if I wasn't actually pulling out the journal to write it out. And I'm curious how some of your, um, clients and the participants in one year no beer like what are some of the tools and tricks that they found to ward off their de i'll call them demons because it really felt like they were demons like they were my yeah. saboteurs coming up full force and there were like thousands of them being yeah. like you are going to drink <laughs> like it was yeah. crazy isn't it it's it's fascinating really and a lot of this so we do a lot of work around almost those two parts of your brain that evolutionary primitive part of your brain and that lovely rational part of your brain that makes all these lovely choices like I don't want to drink alcohol and it often gets overpowered by the more powerful primitive part of your brain so what you described there is a brilliant technique straight away it's like so we talk about ambivalence a lot ultimately it's all about ambivalence we've got ambivalence around alcohol we want to stop this thing because actually we think it's holding us back and it is but there's still some upside perceived upside right because otherwise we wouldn't drink in the first place. There has to be some upside, right? And we've all had some good times and it does help melt our troubles away and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, all, all the uh, options you mentioned there, but the truth is it is holding you back. So it's about breaking down this ambivalence. So a lot of what we will do, for example, an exercise, simple exercise, call it the seesaw exercise. And it's about on the left side, you put all the things that are great about being alcohol free. Because the idea is we want to build up a really strong argument for staying alcohol free. You know, it might be that your eyes are brighter, you're losing some weight, you're feeling fitter, you're consistent, you're faster. Build up a really big litany of positives for staying alcohol free. And then on the other side, what are the perceived positives still around alcohol? It might be, well, actually, it helps me socialize. It might be that I still feel that I 
relax with alcohol. And that's brilliant awareness right there because then you can look at those two things and go, all right, exactly like what you did. How can I achieve relaxation without alcohol? What are the things I can proactively do to relax? Can I read a book, go for a walk, have a nice conversation? Yeah, there's loads of different things that I can do to achieve the same result of relaxation without alcohol. And then the same thing around connection or whatever it is or, or that social glue that you need can i socialize about alcohol some of it needs a bit of retraining for example breaking down that social crutch that is alcohol i think takes a bit of practice and a bit of learning and first-hand experience but ultimately what we're trying to do all the time is break down that ambivalence to build up that positive left side so there's more and more wins about being alcohol free and there's less and less perceived upsides about still drinking there might always be some ambivalence there but if you start to outweigh it so heavily with all the upside then it becomes easy and we talk about the alcohol free magic there comes a point somewhere i think between 28 and 90 days where it clicks and that ambivalence you've won that ambivalence battle as it were there's so many positives now you've undermined any of the perceived old upsides with new and healthy routines and actually you've figured it out i'm not giving anything up I'm gaining a massive advantage. And then actually no willpower is really required after that. It's done. And it's exactly the same, just behavioral change. It's the same around diet and food as well. It's the same thing. Like at, at first, it's difficult to make all those big changes and eat in a different way and your body's crying out for fats and burgers and all the stuff that it does. And you really have to work hard on it at the start. But there's a tipping point where you start to feel great. You start to feel healthy. You get your energy back and you start to build that lovely positive list and all those other perceived upsides like taste and whatnot, you start to undermine anyway. And then all of a sudden there's a switch and it's like, actually, this is part of me now. This is a lifestyle. This is who I am. No willpower is required after that. And that's a lovely moment that ultimately what I'm trying to do all day long is hold people's hand and get them to that place because then it's done. They don't know, leave me anymore. You know, it's they're amazing. off onwards and upwards. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling, I have to say. And I know for me, it probably happened a little bit sooner because I had all the tools from teaching people how yeah. to switch their diet. So I applied those same tools to stopping drinking. But it was there were so many things I thought about you so much, like every day, obviously, for the last three months. Um, you know, because I found myself like sometimes it'd be nine o'clock in the morning and I reach into the cupboard to, um, you know, get porridge out to make oatmeal for the kids and myself. And, and we have the alcohol in the cupboard and I didn't get rid of the alcohol. Like I didn't feel like I needed to do that. But like my husband, he's still likes to have a beer, um, you know, every once in a while. So I was like, he can do his own thing. This is what I'm doing for me. So it wasn't like I was trying to change anybody else. This was purely for me. But then it was like nine o'clock in the morning and I'm like, that tequila looks really good where never in a million years would I look at alcohol at nine in the morning. Yeah. I was like, damn, Andy, like what is yeah. happening? Like I deny, I, you know, it's not that I'm denying myself, but the minute you set a goal and say, this is what I want to achieve. All of a sudden it's like, just because you've started to say no to it. Now it's like available everywhere. And all of a sudden, again, it's your saboteurs coming out. And it's like, for me, it really showed me my personality and that number one, I'm stubborn. And when you tell me I can't do something, I wanted to do it more, even if it's me telling me I can't do something. So there was so, it was funny actually. And I found myself laughing um, just about who I am and my own personality and understanding my own characteristics even more. And the things that our personality tests actually tell us, I was like, it was really coming out strong in this situation with no alcohol. But then it switched and it was amazing because I heard myself saying, you know, like, I'm not a drinker. I don't drink. I was a party and they were like, have some wine. I'm like, actually, I don't drink. And I saw their look on their face. Like, 
wondering like, oh, is she pregnant or is she now yeah. <laughs> right? But it yeah. didn't care. And I, and I was wanting them to ask me more questions, but they didn't. So I just left it. But, um, and it just felt so good to be like, I don't yeah. drink anymore. And that is a, just to pull that out because that's really important because I think people are a little bit like, um, you know, they say dogs can smell fear, can't they? And, and people are scared of dogs. They, it's the same around this whole alcohol-free adventure. I see this all the time when people are a bit unsure about saying, I don't drink. And it's a bit of a fumbled, mumbled excuse. People can sense it. They're like, aha, we have one here. We're going to twist. And then they just don't leave you alone. It's like, go on, have a drink. You will, you will, you will, you will. will." And eventually you crack. But there becomes that point where you go, I don't drink. And it's done really quickly. And it totally kills it off because people just can sense that you just don't drink, right? So I'm not going to, you know, dive deeper into this conversation. And you're right. I think historically people have assumed if you're, a lady, probably pregnant, or you're an alcoholic, are the two assumptions. But genuinely, I believe that's starting to change now because I'm, I was neither of those things, fortunately. Um, and now I think people are starting to see the third way that, that, that there's this other option. This option is actually, I don't choose to drink. Why would I? It's a lifestyle thing. You know, I want to be fitter and faster and consistent in everything I do. There is no room for alcohol in my life. That's why I don't drink. That is the thing that really excites me because it's moving away from this black and white thinking of you've either got a problem or you don't. Historically, our, our, all of us have grown up around that type of environment around alcohol. It's basically the people that have to stop because they've got an addiction and everyone else is fine. But actually what we've realized, everyone else is not fine. It's actually holding everyone else back more than, and, and Rich touched on this and, touch on it again they say like grateful alcoholic in some ways because some people that have reached such a you know a, a difficult place with alcohol it forces them to realign it forces them to reevaluate. whereas the middle lane drinkers i described earlier the sort of moderate sometimes average sometimes heavy they just get stuck right they never even notice it so they just keep grinding it out year after year after year after year you know destroying their consistency destroying their bodies their you know the way they perform in life and never figure it out. Whereas the person that goes alcohol free gets that opportunity. It's like a synthetic awakening of, ah, I get it. You see behind the alcohol free matrix. That's how I'm supposed to feel. I'm supposed to have that more energy. It's so similar, isn't it? To food. It's mm-hmm. exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, and, and I remember in my mid thirties thinking, Oh, I think this is just old age. This is just like middle age. This is sort of how you're supposed to feel. I'm meant to be a bit overweight and a bit tired and a bit meh, a bit crappy, a bit can't be asked. What a load of rubbish that was. You know, fast forward 10 years or five, six years since then, really, I'm fitter and faster and, and, and I've got more energy now than I had in my 20s, you know, and it's exactly the same around food because exactly. food is baked into my story as well. We can come back to that, but I changed my diet along with my alcohol-free adventure and the duality of both of those things has made a huge difference. Oh, it is literally, um, it's, I mean, it's life-changing just to change your diet, but to add that alcohol um, freeness into that, I mean, it's so liberating, but I do have to admit, like since doing this, um, you know, and I don't know how long I'm going to do it. I actually, you know, said I'm going to do the one year, no beer program, even though I didn't know if that was going to mean a year or three months or whatever, but I mean, I'm just 
keep, I'm going for it. And I have no desire to ever like at this point to ever drink again. Um, who knows what would happen? Like, you know, if there was a death in the family or, you know, like, you know, going to a wedding, but I mean, I've already been in situations which haven't been pleasant in the last three months and alcohol was definitely not anything that I wanted, but it is one of the most liberating things, but I have to tell you that for myself, it's been interesting to watch because I've really questioned this concept about addiction where a lot of people say, well, I'm not addicted to food and I'm not addicted to alcohol. But, you know, when you, and you brought this up in the ritual podcast where you're like, okay, I'm not going to drink. And then you go to the bar to meet a friend and all of a sudden the, you know, the, the bartender's like, what do you want? And you're like, oh, get me a beer. And before you know it, you have a beer in your hand. You're like, what? I just committed to no drinking. And I sometimes wonder like, is it, is that just habitual or is it truly addiction? Because I really see it that like, if there's a bag of chips in my house, like in their salt and vinegar flavor, it, it is so hard for me to resist. And it's the animalistic part of my brain that literally yeah. I will wrestle my kids to get that bag of chips. <laughs> even though I know the science behind it. And even though I know I do not want that stuff in my body, but it's so hard to resist. And is that where our like amygdala fires up and it's just like the body's like, give me the efficiency of the fats and the sugars and give it to me all now, you know, or is it an addiction or is it just habit or like, what is it? So I've been questioning that because of the fact that since I have uh, stopped drinking, I've realized I've brought in another addiction and, and I don't know if it's like, cause I want to reward myself. And so I've started to binge watch Netflix. Oh, I know. And, is... and I've been pushing these limits, like sleep. I was going to like, I love yeah. sleep and I know the importance of it, but now I've been like doing this thing where I've been pushing myself at night to be like, let's just see how long I could stay up to. And I don't know if it's, and it feels similar to the drinking, like, let's see how long we can party tonight. Let's see how many drinks we could take. Yeah. Do you see this around people where they, and people bring this up all the time. They said it about ritual. Like the reason he's an ultra athlete is because he quit drinking. So he just substitute one addiction for the other. And there's some people out there who get angry when we say that people are addicted to food, but food addiction is in my opinion, a real thing. So I'm curious what, you know, what your thoughts yeah. are around that and what you've seen in other people who've done the one year, no beer program. Yeah. And this is a really good question. And just to clarify as well, the one, you know, beer for anyone listening is slightly misleading we do 28 day challenges and 90 day challenges and three six five day challenges but i really try and pull away from the whole addiction thing um because it's just so stigmatized you know everything we're trying to do is not stigmatize anyone or anything it's just a fun lifestyle challenge and i think that's really liberating for a lot of people because they don't want to be labeled i think very often it's social and psychological conditioning plus that evolutionary reptilian primitive brain, as you say, which like around food craves high fat, efficient food. It's just misfiring all the time. That's why you literally will, as you said, brilliantly wrestle your own kids to get to those bag of chips. I'm still exactly the same. You know, I think there's certain things that, you know, that, that primitive brain is hardwired to. And I think what happens around alcohol is the same thing. I think early on in life, there's probably some sort of pain there's a wonderful man called Gabor Mate who wrote a brilliant book called In the um, Realm of the Hungry Ghosts, um, who's an addiction expert, expert. And he's got a saying, not why the problem, why the pain. And I think that's so true around alcohol, the people that struggle. And I think when you repeal it back, very often that's the case for a lot of people. It could be like a social pain, like it was for me when I was a geeky 13-year-old and I wanted to meet girls. I found this elixir, right? I had a couple of drinks and boom. I could talk to girls 
all night long. It was brilliant, right? For me, that was a really positive association that got me out of that pain of feeling completely awkward and not knowing what to say into the pleasure of, this is brilliant, I can talk to girls. That was a really powerful association that I made at a young age. And I think a bit like the association that we have around high fat food, these are really powerful. These become almost like primal type instinctual things. So they're really difficult to override. And I think that's what's going on with a lot of people. Clearly there are, um, this is like a, a gradient and there are people that become hope, hopelessly addicted to all sorts of things from you know, sugar to food to um, gambling and whatnot. So there is a different bracket altogether, if you know what I mean. But on the whole, I think most people are caught in this middle lane of social um, associations, psychological associations, early associations they formed around that particular, whether it was turning to a bag of Oreos or whatever, when they was in pain, you know, when you, when you peel it back, very often there's a pain associated in there. So actually on that note, a lot of what we do for people, again, because we're not dealing with addicts or dependent people, we're talking about, you know, people breaking habits um, in a proactive way. A lot of what we actually do though, is talk to people about the fact that when they go alcohol free, stuff might bubble up. If you know what I mean, it might be that actually you realize that you were masking uh, an unhappy marriage. I mean, we see that all the time that people are just drinking, not because there's an addiction there, but because they're actually unhappy. They're in pain with the state of their own marriage. Therefore, to blot it out every night, they have a few glasses of wine or a few you know, beers or whatever it is, and then you remove it and then the pain's still there. The pain of the unhappy marriage is there, but there's an opportunity now for the first time, maybe in a long time, to deal with it head on in a proactive fashion, whether that's to go to counseling or whether that's, you know, to, to start dialogue. But the beauty of it is you start to get your momentum by not drinking, you get that consistency and your mojo and all those things and your energy so that you can deal with those things proactively. And then you become unstoppable a bit again, because now you're dealing with that pain in a proactive fashion and you're not drinking. So you're getting all this goodness back in your body. And that's, another important part of what we do because lots of people come to us it's a total spectrum that come to us i mean we are very much aimed at you know non-dependent you know this is just a fun challenge but there's wings and there's gradients if you can imagine so some people that come to us i'm sure would tick a lot of those traditional addiction boxes yet they get massive results you know and i think they like our approach which is you're not giving anything up you're gaining an advantage and just to come back to that which is so important like when i first looked at this five six years ago and this was the inspiration behind setting up one you know beer there was nothing available nothing zip zero to someone like me i didn't fit in neatly into the you're an addict box off you go to 12-step program which are amazing by the way for a certain subset of people but they were totally wrong for me that's not what i needed i wasn't in that place but there was nothing available nothing no groups no education, no role models. I didn't even know like who didn't drink, you know, who was successful in life and didn't drink. Of course, we know all the amazing stories of the Phoenix from the flames, the people that have the real big addictions, then they turn their life around. I knew a few of those stories, but what we didn't know about were people like me at that time who actually proactively decided to stop drinking and seven X their business or he started to, you know, sprint faster or whatever it was. There was none of that going on. There was no community going on. And that sort of thing, I think, is so important to connect with. And that's the difference, I think, over the last few years. And that was my inspiration to go, hold on a minute. 
I need something a bit different that's going to inspire me to do things differently because I don't fit into that bracket. And ever since then, it's been like, right, I want to be in that space that's inspiring people, hopefully as a safety net before they reach these places where they need a different type of help in many ways. So it's one of these things that's quite a difficult thing to manage, but ideally I'm trying to focus all my attention on the average middle lane drinker because I know if we can get in there, we'll stop so many people ever sliding into that place where they need a different kind of help. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And, you know, and I think about it from the perspective of, you know, after having experienced this, because, uh, you know, my dad's an alcoholic and he's a, a good kind of alcoholic, like the kind that can stop drinking for three months because he'll just be like, every year I stop drinking and it gives him that sense of control. Um, but, and he also becomes more social and, you know, he comes out of his doom and gloom. So he's really fun to talk to. So most of our family members are like, Dave's not an alcoholic, you know, like it, it actually is, they like it better when he's drinking. But for me, I've really felt the pain of it. And I don't know if I like transpose that, you know, onto my dad because he doesn't, you know, I feel like it's there, but I really thought about him a lot as well, that, you know, if you are, if you, if alcohol is an addiction, it, and even for someone like me to have that extra support when you go into a program like this, because as you give up one thing, you know, to gain all of this other stuff, it does open up this Pandora's box. And, you know, a lot of people mm. think like, if I just get rid of one problem, all my problems go away, but that's not what happens. You get rid of one problem and you realize 10 more pop up. And one of those, and I found for myself is um, I'm glad I work with a coach so I can go to my coach and be like, Hey, what the hell? I'm like binge watching Netflix because, you know, and I don't know if it's because I gave up alcohol, like what's going on and having a mentor or coach or somebody that you can talk to, I find is really, really important. And my dad's not like that. He doesn't go to people to talk to them. And, you know, so I know for him, like, I'd be worried if he were to try and do a program like this to not have really that extra support all along the way, um, because it's easy to see how you can substitute one for another. Um, but one of the other things that, um, I, did you want to jump in there? No, only to say that just quickly, I mean, what all the research as well that, that I've read, there's a wonderful guy called Stanton Pill, if anyone's interested. He's the sort of the guru in terms of like the real clinical research around addiction, all these different things. If you want to go down that route, he's got a, a great book called Recover. But anyway, all the research in there suggests that actually, you know, the whole sort of disease model, it's very much trying to sort of break down some of the mythology around the disease model and shows that most people over time recover fully from even the most harsh of addictions they effectively outgrow it the problem is that during that time period while they're outgrowing it there's tons of pain and upset and all sorts of you know horrible things happen and shame and regret and whatnot but the the longer term research shows that most people outgrow it of their own volition over time and i think a lot of what we're trying to do is prevent people ever getting into that place or if they're in it speed up that process i think that's ultimately what everyone's trying to do and just even on that message to the other groups and you know the 12 step anyone that's trying to help people transform their relationship with alcohol is a hero in my eyes you know we're all trying to do a similar thing which is you know, we're all on the same team playing in different positions and that's what the world needs it needs lots of options for people because what works brilliantly for one person like a, a one you know be a challenge will not work for someone else. Uh, they might need something different, but what we need to do is give people lots of alternatives because historically there hasn't been any. There's been like one or two things that you could do 
And for everyone else, it's like, well, I don't know what we do with you. Where it's nice that slowly but surely, again, we're starting to give people lots of different options. Yeah, no. And, and we do need options like that. And I actually feel the same way about food. We need almost like a one year, no refined food, um, you know, program as well, because it's such a slippery slope, right? Like a lot of people think like, well, I'm going to start by giving, like switching the diet and then I'll deal with alcohol afterwards. Or they'll think like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, not drink during the week and I'll just have a drink on the weekend. Um, or the, the same thing with food. They're like, I'm going to have a cheat day where I can eat refined food one day, but it is such a slippery slope because because the alcohol and the refined sugars, refined um, oils and refined fats, like the minute your brain gets a taste of it, it wants more. Like it wants more. And alcohol is a sugar as well. And so that's the hard part is that with the work I do with my clients, it's like cold turkey. Like we don't have any cheat days. It's like you're an AA. It's like you're directly like you're on a brand new wagon and it's a wagon of optimal health. And if you fall off for one day, it doesn't matter. We just get right back on, um, you know, but it is such a slippery slope to think that people can do it um, slowly over a long period of time. And the reason why I suggest people go cold turkey and they just literally dive into clean out your entire fridge, clean out all your cupboards, don't allow one single refined product into the house and you just switch to all clean real food is because you get results fast it's not like you wait a year to get results it's all of a sudden like oh my god you had psoriasis my psoriasis is like clearing up right away my migraines like i have clients who've done this who suffer from 27 migraines a month and after the first month of like literally going cold turkey, they're down to maybe four migraines. And then after that, no migraines, you know, they get pregnant within a couple months, like the results are so quick. Right. And so it's important to, um, from my perspective anyway, that you do not, you do not get one toe on that slippery slope at all. No. And, and this is really important because I think for, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's quite a difficult thing. And we have to be a little bit careful around alcohol because in theory, if you were heavily dependent on alcohol, you know, withdrawal is a really, you know, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a real thing and it can be deadly. It's very exceptional, like in real exceptional cases. Um, but we always have to be a little bit wary of that. Um, and anyone listening, if you are thinking of taking a break from alcohol, if you experience any strong physical um, sensations, let's say that you're just unsure about, always seek professional medical advice before yeah like going straight into taking a break. But for 99% of the people, exactly that's the approach. It's like, right, start the challenge, start tomorrow. Let's go all in on this thing. You know, and for me, the way I always look at it, it's like, what could be more important than this in your life right now? And, you know, I feel very strongly about it. There is nothing more important outside of family and work and whatnot, clearly. But nothing is more important than this because this change will give you more than anything else in your life right now ever back because it's going to give you your time back and your energy and your mojo and all those wonderful things. Therefore, nothing's more important than this thing. Let's go all in. Don't make it a sideshow to everything else or the busyness of life. Go all in on this and make it happen. And then exactly that, you get a real quick change. You experience the benefits quickly and then you're in the game then because you've seen behind the alcohol-free matrix. Whereas if there's a bit of stopping and starting, I mean, and again, alcohol is different in, in some ways because there is a bit of tapering off. And I think one thing that it is important and cold Turkey is a great approach is to build into these systems, a sense that if you slip up, it's not the end of the world. No. You know, to get in that mindset of, do you know what? You just turn up the next day and having looked at all the research that the, the trans theoretical model of change or the behavioral or stages of behavioral change, 
that blew my mind, right? Because I got really into the research and I found this model and it's like a nice circle. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I started to research it. But in my mind, I was thinking, it's so perfect. You know, like who gets in at one end of, starts contemplating a change and then they move into pre-contemplation. Then they, and it's this lovely circle. And I was thinking, that's not the reality of like the, the world. People don't make changes like that very often. But then when I kept digging into the research, what I actually discovered that that circle should have been more like a corkscrew and the, the research around it is, is really strong that actually on average it takes people five to six times around that loop before they make lasting change. This was a game changer for me because I was like, ah, so slips, bumps, fumbles, stumbles, departures from the wagon, failures, whatever you want to call them, they're baked into the change process for many people. So don't run from them. Don't be scared by it. Certainly don't use it as a reason to throw everything out um actually use it be upset by it be a bit disappointed that you've slipped but come back learn from it own it take ownership of it and come back stronger that is the mindset of someone that will crush their relationship with alcohol and, and transform their their relationship with food because when you take that ownership it removes the shame and the guilt be upset and be a bit annoyed that you've slipped up but don't go down the shame route or the guilt route because then you'll run away from it and too many people run away they go i can't do it I'm broken. I'm rubbish. Everyone else has got amazing willpower. No, they haven't. They're just like you. They're just like you, but they kept showing up and it might have taken them three or four times before they cracked it. But when they got it, they're unstoppable. That's, I think that's a really important message to get in there. Yeah. And that's why I asked you that question about what were all those seeds along the way that prompted you to make these changes, which has resulted in like this brand new company, which I want you to tell the world about. Um, and, you know, because for me, it was exactly the same thing. Like I was fortunate to be born in Africa in a place where there was no water and no electricity. My grandmother still lives there with all my relatives and they grow their own food. It's all the exact same food that I teach my clients here in North America, um, you know, in Western parts of the world to eat. And, you know, so I had that. I was born into that world. I had a craving for vegetables from a, as a very young child. And then when we moved to Canada, my mom always had a garden. She cooked as much things from scratch, you know, until she discovered things like flour, you could buy a bag of flour and you didn't have to make it yourself, you know? So, you know, aside from things like that, she really made everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had seeds planted, like I was born with those seeds. Um, so I like to tell people that, but at the same time, you know, I'm still a human being in North American culture faced by the same social pressures, faced by the same foods in the marketing as anybody else. And so every time you know, and I don't even like to call it a slip up. I like to call it a wall, you know, and, and the spiral analogy, I love that as well, because it is that, that corkscrew spiral. And just like a shell, if you look at a shell, they are all spiral and they get bigger, bigger, bigger. But within that cell, there is shell, there's these little walls to hold it and to give it structure. Right. Yeah. And so when you're spiraling around and you make a complete loop, you rise up and there's going to be a wall. And that wall is an opportunity to learn so much about yourself. Like for me, like, you know, why do I think I need this alcohol at nine o'clock in the morning all of a sudden when I've never craved alcohol at nine o'clock? Oh, right. It's because I'm probably tired. Like, what do I need to do for today? So what can you learn about yourself? And, you know, learning that you do have other saboteurs and like talk to them and be like, what is it? How can I, you know, 
put you to sleep and, and bring out my, whatever you want to call it, whether it's your angels or your mentors or your coaches, if they're, you know, real people, or if they're just, um, you know, your I call them my captain and crew members. They're like, I have an astronaut. I got this from a coaching session. And, you know, anytime I'm just like not feeling it and I don't feel like I have the power, I put my hands on my hips and I look up and, you know, it's my astronaut. So I like, I embody that um, avatar or whatever it is to help me through those moments. But no matter what it is, like we all need support, whether we can turn it up from within ourselves. But if you do hit that wall, it's an opportunity for growth. And once you surpass that wall, whether it's busting through it or climbing over it or digging under it or going around it, you never go, like you don't go back down the spiral. And it, yeah. and you, you mentioned the word unstoppable. And I love that word so much because by changing your diet and by giving up alcohol, you are freeing yourself to become unstoppable in all areas of your life, like in all areas. And I imagine there's some people who are afraid of who that person is, I'm sure. But I'd say embrace that person, like that unstoppable you, because it is such an incredible feeling to be able to love your kids 100%, to love your partner 100%, to have the energy to create a business or go back to school or launch a new program in your existing business or apply for that job you've always wanted to have. And I've seen those results in my clients when they change their diet, which does for them include giving up the alcohol when they do the therapy I teach and they become unstoppable. And so this is where I'd love for you to share with our audience, like what is the company that you've created? What are the programs that you've created? And um, if you have any great stories, like testimonials from some of the people who've gone through um, or who are in One Year No Beer, like what does that look like? If you could just like let them taste it, see it, feel it, experience it. Yeah. So what happened all those years, well, I'll say all those years ago. So five and a half years ago, I stopped drinking, having a litany of efforts before that and didn't quite crack it then I finally cracked the alcohol code got really into all the behavioral change stuff with my alcohol free superpowers which I like to call them I had that time and that energy to do lots of of extra things in my life I was suddenly getting up early I started getting up before the alarm went off I got up at 6 a.m then 5 a.m and in that period I went back to university to finish a degree because uh, I mentioned it earlier I left school at 16 to pursue oh, yeah. the dream of becoming a professional footballer. So I thought I'd left my formal education behind, but I hadn't because once I had that time and that energy, I thought, you know what? I'm still doing the brokering, but I'm going to go back to university. I want to learn about my brain, finish the degree. I just finished a master's degree in positive psychology and coaching psychology just the other day. I graduated about three days ago. It was totally cool. By the way, 44 cap and gown and all my kids there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a brilliant experience. Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing on it because I, I love this stuff, right? So I'm immersed in it. I want to learn everything I can about it. And anyway, as part of that learning process, I inspired another guy called Ruri Fairbanes, who was also a broker and who had a similar experience to me. Quit drinking, doubled his business, felt great, lost weight, you know, got in shape, all those wonderful things. Relationships were at home, very similar story to mine. And we kept getting together and going, this is brilliant. You know what? why are more people not aware of this? This is like, if only we'd discovered this years ago, you know, how, you know, successful, all that sort of stuff we'd have been. Um, we want to share this. We don't know how we're going to share it. What are we going to do? So I wrote this little ebook whilst on holiday, 10,000 word ebook. Ruri knew about the Tinternet and stuff because I still am useless when it comes to the technology. He's really into all that. And he said, right, we'll set up a website. We'll just give it away. Let's just see who comes along. We put it up on the internet thinking, a few brokers like us would pick it up and be interested. 
like the internet can. Two weeks later, 10,000 downloads. It was all over the world, literally in the most random places, China, Brazil, people getting in touch going, oh my God, I've read your story. It resonates with me because that story was all about the positive approach to this. You're not giving anything up. You're getting a massive advantage. And people are just not used to hearing that. And back to that story earlier, when I was looking at this, the only organizations out there, it all felt like I was giving something up. I was missing out. Every book that I read was like, well, you've been a naughty boy. So now you've got to miss out for the rest of your life. Then I read one book by a guy called Jason Val called Kick the Drink Easily. Big, bright, pink book, which was great because all the other stuff felt like doom and gloom and you need to hide it away and put it in the in between like the times or something. So someone knew you were, no, knew you were reading it. Then there was this big in your Facebook and that book basically said, what are you giving up? Hangovers, tiredness, lethargy, can't be arsonous, you know, poor relationships, you're not giving anything up. That was a, a game changer for me. So anyway, that sort of flows through our whole uh, mentality. We put this book out, lots of people downloaded it and we went, wow, that's cool. So then we created this little tribe around it. It was literally Ruri and I and a handful of people which started to grow and gather momentum. And fast forward about two years, bearing in mind we were full-time brokerages. I'd set up this new broking business, all that stuff, studying and doing all these wonderful things. Um, and we'd been giving it away for free for two years and we'd reached at that stage 40,000 people, still a lot of people, but it wasn't the millions that we thought we were going to reach when, you know, we put an ebook up and it got downloaded 10,000 times. We were like, this is easy. You just put stuff out on the internet and you get millions of people download it. Brilliant. We're going to inspire the whole world to go alcohol free fast forward 10 years. And the numbers are, you know, not dwindling, but like we're, ha- we're having to constantly finance this thing to get it into people's mindset. You know, we were like really put, pushing the stone up a hill, as it were. And that cost us to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds each. And I remember having this meeting with Ruri where it was meant to be about the next six months. And we were both broken physically, like walking in that room. We were shattered. We were given, you know, I'll describe it to people. One, you know, beer as, as my sort of sideline wasn't sort of 75%. It was 100% of my free time, 100%. There was nothing else apart from sleep and family work and one, you know, beer for about two and a half years. And we were broken, like again, and, and, and dwindling our own personal savings and whatnot to the point that we were like, we can't do this. We're going to have to close it down, which was such a shame because even that 40,000 people, we'd had 10,000 emails to say, this approach has changed my life. You know, I've lost four or five stone in weight i had a lovely i mean i get this all the time this is what i feel so blessed about a lady wrote to me just the other day on my facebook i get lots of messages like this it was like thank you so much i've just in going alcohol free i've not only saved my marriage i've saved my relationship with my two children this is the best thing i've ever done right doesn't have to be a big long message but that's so powerful right i see that played over and over again not just around relationships around health around careers and that in itself is so powerful. So we'd reached this, this place where we had this thing that was moving and gathering momentum, but we couldn't manage it. We couldn't finance it. We didn't have the time. Um, and by fluke, I just created an online course just to make the free stuff that we did even better. Um, but there was a very easy option to switch that onto a paid for um, component. So rather than close the whole thing down and panic, we said, look, let's just go away for two weeks. Let's just like rest forget about one, you know, beer, let's just switch the lights off effectively. And as we did, I uploaded this thing and flicked the switch to paid for 
courses. We went away for two weeks, literally didn't do a thing, didn't go into the groups, didn't look at anything, properly like recovered, recuperated. We came back full of energy, turned the lights back on and we'd sold five of these courses. And it was like a little miracle. It's like, ah, right now I get it. Maybe we can actually turn this into a business that does good in the world. Maybe people would actually pay us to learn about the psychology, create a tribe, get the videos, get the emails, get all the support. Maybe there's a way to do this differently. And that was it. We didn't look back since. Literally two weeks later, Pam McMillan, we ended up getting in touch with huge publisher in the UK and in the US worldwide. Said, would you write a book? Which was amazing. So we wrote our first book, the 28 Day Alcohol Free Challenge. And then we just started gathering momentum ever since. And um, then it was just doubled down, right? Let's use our business acumen, all our talent, all our skill, whatever it is, rather than giving it away to someone else. Let's try and do something positive with this in the world let's make a change let's try and reach a million people and we haven't really looked back since um so what we offer now is a 28 day challenge 90 day challenge and 365 day challenge the, the the tribe and the community is the best on the internet i in my opinion i'm completely biased of course but they're amazing right they are this amazing. group of people that come together to inspire each other and there's no fluff in there you know because we've all got this shared connection. Everyone's got a slightly different story, but it's the same story. You know, for some reason they've reached a place where actually they feel like alcohol is holding them back and they want to do something different and they come into the group and they're inspired and they're supported and they're motivated. Um, and that tribe is really gaining momentum. It's now up close to a hundred thousand people. Um, and in terms of the business, what we're trying to do is take on investment, to reach more people because the way we've worked it out for the business to be successful, it can only be successful if we reach lots of people. So therefore to reach lots of people, we need a successful business. So it goes hand in glove. So the more we can make a successful business, the more people we have to help by default. And that's ultimately what it's all about. The business angle just facilitates us reaching more people. If you know what I mean, without being a charity that is reliant on tenders and, donations we can do it in such a way that there's this there's this business that's flexible that's energetic that we can improve we're bringing we're developing an app i just came off a meeting about an app we've got special guests in there it's just getting better and better all the time because ultimately we want to try and completely change the landscape around people's relationship with alcohol and actually make it cool not to drink and for the people that are finding it a bit tricky we want to be there to support those people and show them how to do it in a tribe that are inspiring each other to be a little bit better that's what it's all about and that's what i love about the work that you're doing and why like i have shivers right now because when i hear you describe it that way it's the it's exactly the same goal that we're going after as well with food and the, you do need to develop that tribe you know we have the same thing we have a you know an online group and people are so incredibly supportive like they go in there they share recipes they they're vulnerable they share their you know the moments when it's hard they share they share their tricks for how to overcome you know those moments when it's hard and you know how to feed your kids how to do all of those things and their successes as well and it's so important that we create that tribe because we know we're going to be successful number one when we have community around us and i love um I love the line, you know, if you can't change your friends, then you change your friends. And, you know, by offering that tribe to people, you offer people the opportunity to be like, okay, you know what, for those friends who can't support me through at this time when I'm going through this change of one year, no beer, or 28 years, days, no beer, like you can form this online community. It's what I love about the internet. Um, and then 
you know, and then also like as you get the courage and support from that internet, then you can speak about it more amongst the people that you physically see in front of you. And then all of a sudden, you know, I love what my clients often say is they're like, oh my God, I had no idea. There's so many people who are trying to make similar changes. Yeah. What I, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you have a brand new group of friends, which is awesome. So if you can't change your friends, change your friends, even if it means starting with an online tribe. So that's huge and powerful. So I really love the work that you're doing. So when somebody signs up for like, what's the best way for them to get started? Like, should they jump into the 28 day program or did they just choose whichever one is more fitting? Should they read your book first? Like what's a, what have you found has been really helpful for, for people? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the tribe is so important. It really is exactly the same way around food. You need, especially around alcohol because, and you touched on this right at the very start when we, we talked about your own experience around alcohol and you're obviously so into this. It was, it was really refreshing to hear it. But ultimately, you have to own this change. It has to be coming from you, the individual. Because at the moment, 80% of the population are all still drinking. So the second you decide to make this change, you're going to walk back out into the world and everyone around you is going to be drinking. Your partner's probably going to be drinking. Your, your, you know, your parents, your, your, the people that you admire are going to be drinking. So it's really important to have a tribe of like-minded people because you need a space where people get you where you can come in and go, oh, I'm struggling a little bit, and people instantly you know, are there to pick you up and support you, or celebrate, because also in the outside world, yeah. no one really wants to hear about how amazing you feel because you're not drinking, right? Nope, they they just, especially when they're hangover, and it's your wife, and you're going, wow, I feel amazing, and you're looking and going, she's struggling this morning. Um, so that tribal part of it's really important. So I would recommend come and do a challenge and choose which one works best for you the 28 days for me is like a dip your toe in the water just experience it just have a glimpse behind the alcohol free matrix but the good stuff happens in the bigger challenges like the 90 days and like from our stats which was really interesting people that get to 90 days we had like 85 percent would go on once they yeah. reach 90 days because 80 almost everyone effectively was getting to the point where they felt so good exactly i'm sure the same happens with you it's like why would i go back now but people's mindset at the start is very much i'm definitely going to go back to drinking i just want to reassess and transform my relationship and i'm like brilliant go for it we're going to transform your relationship then see how you feel at the end but i know secretly when most people get to the end they go do you know what i'm going to keep going because i feel bloody brilliant and yeah. that's what happens all the time and i'm sure it's exactly the same around you know, you see the same around food that once you experience it, it's like, well, why would I go back? And also I think, and this is psychology again, when we try and think about ourselves in the future, we use our emotions in the present. So when you're thinking about a challenge like this, it's very difficult yeah. to get your head around what you're going to feel like in 90 days. But when you get there, you feel totally differently. And therefore I think that's why so many people keep going. So yeah, long story short, one, you know, beer.com, you can sign up to challenge 28, 90 or 365 personally i think the 90 is the best one to do that was the one that gets the biggest results i think and then immerse yourself in the community because you will love it and you also need it i think it's really really important and and you mentioned it there the internet you know is a wonderful thing and also it comes with its issues especially around social media and whatnot yeah. but the tribal element that it allows you to create is stunning you know people from all over the world every single background you can think of coming together in like 
a community that are all trying to be a little bit better, whether that's around food, whether that's around alcohol, that stuff's really powerful. And then you can take that offline. And something you also said, which was interesting, there's some brilliant research. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Nicholas Christakis and his research around the, the, the Framingham study. I think. Oh, that's yes, yes, yes. Yep. Stuff blows my mind. It is amazing. So just for the listeners. So what basically Christakis did, he wanted to work out how our networks influenced our behaviors, um, how our emotions. And he found an old heart study that had been going on in the US for years, but it was really intricate. It kept details of everyone's connections and whatnot. So they spent years mining this like old heart study to build up all the nodes and all the different connections. And then from the same information, they were able to see how habits and behaviors and whatnot flowed through people's networks and it just blows your mind so the study goes like this if someone in your immediate social circle becomes obese i'm just going to use this um, and and this works for smoking drinking all sorts of different things but let's just use the the, the weight as it's it's probably most uh, congruent with the, with the chat today if someone in your immediate social circle becomes obese, the chances of you becoming obese goes up by 45%. If one of your friend's friends, so now we've gone one out, one of your friend's friends becomes obese, the chance of you becoming obese goes up by 25%. This is when it will blow your brains. If one of your friend's friend's friends becomes obese, the chance of you becoming obese goes up by 10%. Isn't that like mind blowing? that you're influenced all the way out to your friends, friends, friends. And the flip of that is, and this is the, the positive to all of this stuff. So when you go alcohol free or you transform your diet, it flows the other way, right? So you get a chance to influence all those people that you love and that they love and that they love. That is really cool. That's a real motivator for me. And that's the same motivation for me as well, because I've been in that similar place where, you know, you're launching your business and, you know, we built an online course and, you know, you're out there and you're trying to do all of this stuff. And then financially, it's like, man, I've put so much money into this. And I really thought it would be bigger that everybody would want to jump into this. And, you know, the money would become, you know, come in to support even further growth. And then when that didn't happen and, you know, have a few frustrating days, you know, and I was just like, oh man, I just want to call it in. Like, that's it. Like I'm done. And then you get a letter, you know, and one of, you know, just an example of one of the letters, very similar to, I'm sure the thousands of letters that you've received, you know, was from a, from a woman who so much chronic pain, years of chronic pain, years of um, being obese, years of uh, diabetes and all the medications and the depression and the lethargy and it was one moment where she saw that we were opening up a restaurant that day and she saw it in the newspaper. And so she got up, she took her, I think it was like almost 300 pound self down to our cafe. She got in there, ate our food, drank our juice. Then she bought one of the books, um, Eat to Live. And then she read it, um, proceeded to read it and make the lifestyle changes. And she, the, and she wrote to us and she said, you know, the day that she went down to that cafe was also the day she was going to take her life. And she had two young kids. And after, you know, years of just like binge eating, binge watching Netflix, um, you know, all of those things like, you know, so when you get a letter like that, you're like, who cares how much money I have to put into it? Like, yeah. I'm going to continue this and do this. And, you know, and 
I love that study that you refer to because of the fact that so many people think that their um, li- that their lifestyle that they have is perhaps genetic, like they drink because their parents drank or they're overweight because their parents are overweight. And so they often just say, well, it's genetic. This is just how I built. But that study is great because it wasn't done with family members. It was done with friends. And it really shows the power and influence that our circle, our community, our friendships have on us that we can present you know, physically the same way as our friends, friends, friends. So imagine what that's like to be born and raised in the same household, you know, as your family members. And so at the end of the day, we know 97% of diseases are not genetic, they're lifestyle induced. And so you have the power within yourself to make those changes and to break that lifestyle cycle. And that study speaks to that hugely because that study wasn't done on family, it was done on friends. And yeah, so I'm and going also, to put that study in the show notes. Yeah, go on. Oh, do. Yeah. And also that motivator, you know, for people that are sitting on the fence or finding it difficult, whether it's to go alcohol free or transform their relationship with food, do it for those loved ones around you. If, you, if, if you've got kids, you know, and for me, that was a huge motivator. I've got two young girls and I wanted to be that inspiration for them that they've got a dad that chooses of his own volition not to drink alcohol. I think that's pretty cool. That they're going to grow up and, and their mum drinks. I don't know. And that gives them that option. Right. And then also, as you just said there, we know how much we influence those people around them. So you can only imagine as parents, how much you influence your children growing up, rightly so, because often you purchase their food or, you know, that they see you as their role model drinking or whatever around them. But I think it's so important to break that cycle as well. Even if you were influenced by your parents in a way that is not actually helpful for you at the moment, whether that's around food or whatever it is, or alcohol, you get the opportunity to break that cycle. You get the opportunity to do something different that's going to influence your children in a positive way or your loved one in a positive way. That stuff's super powered. It is super powered. And you brought up a great point about the fact that, you know, your wife still drinks and you let her do her thing and, you know, not let her, that's probably the worst choice of language, but, you know, you just say, you know, you, you're doing your own thing and I'm doing this for me. But I think it's great because of the fact that same with food, if you're militant about it and it's like, no, you cannot have that, you know, that's not a way to raise healthy kids that can think critically about food or alcohol. And so it's really important, I think, for people who are listening to also, you know, if this is something you want to take on, you're taking it on for yourself, but you're not preaching, you know, to your family members and you're not um, scaring them off of the alcohol or the refined foods um, for reasons you know, really other than you're just doing it for yourself. This is about me and wanting to reach my own potential. And this is how I'm doing it. And take a look around you and see how different people do it. Some people might include alcohol and choose exercise and diet and, you know, yoga and meditation to try and become unstoppable. But, you know, to be able to give your kids that opportunity, though, to see a life that doesn't include alcohol, I think is really, really powerful. Because I mean, you give birth to a child and how do you celebrate champagne, cigars, you know, like that <sighs> child is immediately born into the world with yeah. one of their parents smelling like alcohol. Yeah. I mean, it's, right? it's uh, and these cultural signs, right? It's how we learn, you know, and we learn in, in situations, especially when we're children by looking to our peers and our family and our loved ones. And at the moment that all those cultural signs say drink alcohol. And that's, you know, back to what we've been talking about at the heart of this, 
that's the stuff that I'm really trying to help people break down is to break down all those long lasting, like needless associations. We don't need to associate alcohol with every single celebration. I mean, again, kids' birthdays awash with wine. Like, why are we like just zoom out on that for a minute? Why do we need to do that? We just don't. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. is a beautiful celebration of your child. We don't need wine for every single guest that turns up. And, you know, these are the things that somehow it's crept, I think, over the last hundred years, really, into our society, into such a place that it's just become ubiquitous. It's everywhere, isn't it? Every celebration, commiseration, sporting event, somehow has got itself associated with alcohol. Well, the marketing has a lot to do with that. I mean, we spend trillions of dollars a year on marketing, right? So, you know, and marketing works. We know that. And we, you know, that from business. I know that from business that marketing works. So if someone's spending a trillion dollars, it's the same with food, isn't it? The food industry has spent trillions of dollars selling us the wrong stuff because there's no big broccoli or there was no big, you know, vegetables out there spending a trillion dollars advertising broccoli, right? So we've all got sucked into eating the wrong stuff all the time. It's the same with alcohol. But what I love about the younger generation coming through, like the millennial types, they are so inquisitive. And they're, you know, I think they're more about their authentic self. We know millennials are drinking way less than they've ever done. So the trend, there's, there's almost like a curve, if you can imagine, because that band between about 30 and 60 is still sort of right knee deep in those old ways of living. Whereas I think the younger generation coming through are starting to figure out, hold on a minute, probably sort of, you know, again, early 20s, teens, there's a different way to do this, you know, and that's really exciting. You know, I love that that's happening. And that, so not to question your facts, but is that a fact that, because I'm so curious about that, are the millennials, you know, they are. that is a fact. So in terms of if you look at consumption, it's like down across the board, especially in the millennials. Um, and, And it goes back, I said this recently, I think there's something about being authentic. And you mentioned this. One of the greatest discoveries you'll ever make is your authentic self. And when you're drinking, you're rarely your authentic self. Even if you're drinking once or twice a week, this is my point, because you're always a little bit under its influence because the next day you're tired. And the day after that, you're still a little bit tired, even if you've only had a couple of drinks because it just destroyed your sleep. And then guess what? Then maybe you have another couple of drinks. So then you're a bit tired again. And whilst you're drinking, you're under the influence of alcohol. So you're not you either. You know, for years, I convinced myself I was this flamboyant extrovert. I'm actually an introvert. I had no idea until I was like 41 years old. Um, But the point being, I think the millennials are starting to realize that that authentic self is important. And it is the greatest discovery you'll ever make. And it is scary. And you mentioned that as well. And that's important to acknowledge. It's really scary. People are fearful of what lies beneath. It's like, hold on, if I take alcohol away, will I be boring? Like my biggest fear was, well, a few fears, but they were all around the boring tag. I thought if I stop drinking, my wife's going to run off with the postman, right? It's (laughs) going to happen. She's definitely running off the postman. I bet he still drinks. (laughs) I've got to put a camera. I keep doing this gag about the postman. And my wife said to me the other day, she went, in a minute, the postman's going to listen to one of your podcasts, right? And it's going to be a really awkward situation. So I'm going to say milkman because the milkman doesn't actually come to the house. Let's just say the milkman. But I genuinely was, you know, were my friends going to disown me? And my biggest fear was like, how am I going to dance at weddings? It was like, that's impossible. How am I, you know, 
I'm a ginger man, right? We just don't do dancing, do you know what I mean? So how am I gonna navigate that one? And I did, funnily enough, whilst not drinking and it hurt and it wasn't pretty to look at, but you know what, I did it, you know? And all these things, I sort of laugh about them and joke, but they're really powerful. For lots of people, that's what holds them back. They can't face, they're so fearful that they believe in the limiting beliefs. They believe, you know, as I did, that the wife's gonna run off with the postman and their mate's gonna disown them, that they stay stuck yeah. doing those things like drinking because they're so scared that what's beneath is going to be boring. But it's the greatest discovery you will ever make is your authentic self. Then you don't have to pretend. Then yeah. life gets easier. You can just show up and be you. And if that doesn't mean that you're swinging off the chandeliers anymore, as I used to, now I'm the guy who's just chilling out in the back, having lovely conversations with random people going deep and getting like connection that I never had before whilst hanging around the volivants. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like the person out front anymore. I don't want to be that person. That wasn't me. The real me is someone who wants to be connected to people and listen and be mindful and enjoy the moment and not rush through it and not bulldoze it anymore. That stuff is really powerful. But I totally get that it scares so many people. So I think just to put that message out there and round up this point that getting to your authentic self is the greatest discovery you need to make whether yeah. you do that through food or alcohol, it's really important. Yeah. And Martin Luther King said it first, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, quote it perfectly, but you know, so many of us are afraid of being big. We're afraid of, you know, being that unstoppable person. And so instead we play small. And I think, you know, when we, choose foods that don't serve us when we choose alcohol, when, you know, and even for me choosing to binge watch Netflix, I know a hundred percent it's fear of um, being unstoppable because with this amount of energy that I have from not drinking, like I've noticed it, like, and I had a lot of energy before because my diet is great, but I have noticed that, oh, right. It's like, I have I can think clearer, like I can put actions into place much faster. And what that's going to mean for my family is that I might not be around as much because since I've stopped drinking, like you, the number of projects we have put together and it's only been three months, but it's because I come into work and I'm clear. I'm like, I know this is what I want. This is what I want. Whereas before, if I had a glass of wine the night before, I'd kind of come and be like, you know what, let's wait on that project. Like, because it would mean I'd have to do more work. Right. So yeah. it's more just so afraid of being unstoppable and being the big, amazing person that I am already designed to be like, I am that yeah. person and I don't need to cover it up anymore. So that was one thing. And then of course, friendships, um, because already I'm the quirky person who people are afraid to invite over to dinner because they don't know what to cook for me. Yeah. Um, even though I'm like, whatever, just like, I'll just eat what I want to eat. Like I'll pick it out. Don't worry about it. But you know, I already saw that that shift in certain people. And I was like, oh gosh, is this going to alienate more people? And it was actually even more than that. It was, I didn't want to make people feel bad because they drink. Yeah. And that is me always, um, people pleasing. And so this brought out the people pleaser in me even more not drinking. Cause I was like, well, I feel bad that, you know, here I am and I'm not on my high horse. It's truly an experiment with myself, but I just didn't want to alienate my friends even that much more. But then I was like, fuck it. Cause you know what, if they think this is me alienating them, cause I want to be big and awesome and unstoppable, then you know what, if you're not good with that, then sorry, we probably don't have too much yes. room to be friends anyway. So that really just that. was like, yeah, a switch that went off for me. Yeah, and I, I, a similar thing. Again, having transformed my relationship with food as well, so I moved to 
a plant-based diet, did the research and actually figured out that that was the best type of diet for me. And that was a huge transition again. But here's the thing. It's a little bit like someone described it to me. If you learn one language, learning the second language is much easier because it's almost like you've got an extra filter in your ear and so on with the more languages you learn. I think it's like this. This is why we get these big transformations and it can come from food and it comes from changing relationship with alcohol. Once you've done it once and you've crushed all those limiting beliefs and you've been through all those hard times and you've discovered your authentic self and you've got comfortable with other people being a bit uncomfortable about your, you know, lifestyle changes, it becomes so much easier to do it the second time. Cause then you go, do you know what? They told me for years I needed to drink to have fun and do all this stuff. Total rubbish. That conventional wisdom is not true. Then I looked at my diet and went, hold on a minute. Maybe I don't have to eat meat to be a big, strong man. Maybe I can actually look at this differently. And that was really intriguing to me. And then, of course, just like the alcohol thing, I started to change my diet and went, wow, now I do feel unstoppable. I'm firing on all cylinders. Because the first time in a long time, I started to notice what food was doing. Whereas before, it was always a bit of an excuse because I was a little bit tired or a little bit hungover. You never really could sense it. Whereas I could eat a big steak and then want to go to sleep 20 minutes later. So I knew, I was like, well, that's the food, right? I can't blame you on alcohol, that's gone. So all of these things start to build on one another to the point that you start to make these huge changes. But I remember saying to my mum and talking about making people uncomfortable, I said to my mum, I'm doing this vegan thing, mum, right? I thought, I'm not even going to try it with the plant base. You'll never get ahead around that. So I'm doing this vegan thing. She went, you can't do that. I mean, like, I can't do that. She went, well, like, um, your teeth are going to fall out and your, your hair's going to go all pasty. I was like, what, where, where did you get that from? Right. And this is my, you know, like, and she's like all in on this. This is like concern for her son. She's looking at me. Oh, I was checking my teeth as she said this. And I'm like, mum, like, where did you get that from? And she goes, well, there was this one girl at school. I was like, mum, you're <laughs> five. What are you talking about? That was, she probably had rickets or something, you know, scurvy, one of these things that they had back then. Um, what are you on about? And it just, it was sort of comical, but funny, like in her mind, she couldn't, it was a change and it was like scary and it was frightening. And the lovely thing about that story is that, and this is what I was going to say to you um, earlier, is that, you know, as Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world, right? The best thing you can ever do is just show up, eat the way that serves you and be vibrant and radiant and energized. That's the best thing you can ever do. You never have to preach, you never have to talk about it. Same around alcohol. Don't have to say anything. Just turn up and be loving life. That is so infectious. And of course, I started to change my diet, lost a load of weight. My teeth didn't fall out. You know, I was fitter and stronger than I've ever been. And obviously my mum's seeing this going on, going, oh, wow, you look amazing. Right. And now she's my number one vegan fan, if you know what I mean. So I go around there for Sunday roast. I get all my, she does it all vegan style for me. And it's lovely. You know, I didn't have to preach to her. I'll start wagging the finger. Yeah. Apart from that laugh over the first comment. And then they just get it, right? That's the key. Turn up, be vibrant, be happy, be healthy. And here's another thing. Share. Share these messages. Share this podcast. You know, share all the wonderful work that you're doing because it's important to get it out there. Own it. This is just a lifestyle change, whether you're changing your your diet or if you're changing alcohol. There's no stigma. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Get this message out into the world. So it's two things. Show up, be amazing, and share stuff. I I love that. 
That is a great way to wrap this up because we've been together for what an hour and like 45 minutes and I could definitely chat with you all day, but I know yeah. you, it's the end of your day. Is it the end of your day today, right now? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's sort of, yeah, quarter past not, uh, seven. Yeah, and it's the beginning of my day. So um, I know that I definitely want to stay connected with you. I'm actually going to sign up for the 90-day program right now, the minute this podcast is over, because I'm just so fascinated by all the incredible resources. I want to be part of that tribe. Like I'm, you know, that is something I don't want to miss out on. I probably should have done that right from the beginning, but I kind of was like, oh, it's an experiment to see if I could get to the point where I could sign up for the 28 day, but I'm past that now. So I should have just done it right from the beginning, but I'm definitely going to do that. Super curious about I love the behavior change um, pieces as well, because that is such an important part. And that's what I love about the work that you do is that, you know, you're not just out there saying, hey, just give up the alcohol, but you understand that it's a, it's a psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical process as well. And the behavior change piece is so huge and the psychology of it is so huge. So I'd so appreciate that. So if people want to get connected with Andy and his program at One Year No Beer, it is oneyearnobeer.com. Know that it doesn't have to be for one year, do the 28 day, the 90 day, or the 365. I just like go sign up for the 90 day. And you've actually inspired me to build a program as well because ours is five weeks because you know, making changes in your kitchen is tough because you're talking about three meals a day that you're preparing um, plus your snacks. Whereas, you know, maybe with alcohol, it's like you don't really have to prepare anything, right? It's just a matter of, you know, you're just saying no to that and maybe saying yes to a cold pressed green juice or something, um, you know, and, and some other healthier alternative. Um, so we did five weeks, but I know for sure when my clients get to the three month mark as well, those 90 days, it's so powerful. And the same thing, like 85 to 90% of them will continue it for a lifetime, which is what we've been seeing over the last 11 years, which is huge, huge, huge. Wonderful. Any other thing, re- ways that they can get connected with you, um, your book for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I've got a book, um, the 28 day alcohol free challenge, which I'm co-authored with Ruri. And I've got a new book coming out in December called let's do this, which is all about motivation. So that'd be cool. Um, LinkedIn. I'm just doing a bit more on LinkedIn, Andy Ramage. And I do a bit on my own Instagram. We're on the Instagram and Facebook one, you know, beer. I'm live most mornings cheering people on, giving it a bit of welly. Um, and then my own Instagram is Andy Ramage MV for motivation. And Unbelievable. Um, thank you so much. This has been like such a beautiful, heartwarming podcast for me. And I hope that, and I know that all of our listeners are going to feel the same way as well. So if anybody out there wants to sign up for One Year No Beer with me, please do so. Let me know that you did um, email me because I'm so curious. I'd love to uh, go on this adventure with you. So thank you for everything that you've brought to the world, Andy. Um, it is truly, truly life-changing and inspiring likewise and thank you so much for for having me on we have a podcast as well so i must uh, reciprocate and bring you on so you can share your message with all our alcohol free adventurers i think that'd be lovely yeah i'd love to i mean yeah just to talk about the different case studies of what it looks like when people start eating clean food and which is always in conjunction with no alcohol so yeah that would be incredible i would definitely accept that offer 
Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. Please take the time to share it with others today because who knows what we can collectively create in the world when we share stories, when we share information, especially info as powerful as what Andy has shared with us today about the power of getting rid of alcohol in our lives. And even if it's just for a short time, just so we can see what we are truly capable of being in this world when we have nothing holding us back. Now to wrap up, I also want to let you know that we are offering an amazing discount as well on our Eat Real to Heal book. So you can get this book on Amazon all around the world, but if you go to our site, you can go to our um, website, you can email us, us, email us for the code. Um, you can go to bit.ly eat real to heal book. So E-R-T-H book, and you can get this amazing discount, 45% off of our book, now only $9.99. And again, in this book, similar to our online course where we're offering that deep discount, 85% um, off, you are gonna learn how to use food as medicine to reverse chronic disease, including cancer. I've worked with thousands of people around the globe, um, teaching them this, and they've successful, successfully reversed all types of chronic illnesses from heart disease and diabetes and uh, autoimmune disorders and allergies and fibromyalgia and endometriosis and infertility and migraines. The list is so long. Food is medicine, it's a foundation of our health. So please start making those changes today so you can reclaim your life and get back to doing what you were designed to do and be in this world. Go out there and show your greatness and share your healing stories with us. We'd love to know all about them. And we can then have you on our podcast to share your story of healing um, to inspire others to also make these changes. Thanks again for being with us. Enjoy your week and stay tuned for the next podcast.